Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What are the arguments against miracles? Last week we talked about do miracles occur and do they occur today? And we talked about six different types of unusual events. And uh, one of the reasons I want to talk about this is there are several books, one new book on it coming out in a couple weeks. Lee Strobel always writes a great book. We'll have Lee on to talk about it directly. It's called The Case for Miracles. You know, he does all those case books, which are wonderful. And then I've been going through a two volume hernia inducing set by Craig Keener on miracles. Uh, Craig, one of the best researchers you'll ever find. He's got a footnote after virtually everything he says. And uh, we're going to have Craig on in a couple of weeks as well, because he documents modern day miracles and uh, also deals with are the miracles in the gospel and acts credible in that 1100 page academic tome. And I'm doing a TV uh, series on this. We just began recording it this past Monday night here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It'll wind up on the air probably this summer because miracles are at the core of Christianity. If miracles are possible, then quite obviously it's possible that Christianity is true. If miracles are not possible, then you might as well sleep in on Sunday and do something else with your life because Christianity cannot be true if miracles are not possible. The central miracle, obviously, in Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. If that's not possible or didn't happen, you might as well devote your life to something else because Christianity can't be true. Neither could Islam. Islam could, can't be true if, uh, if miracles aren't possible. Not that there are a lot of miracles in Islam, but they do claim certain miracles that Muhammad allegedly did. Of course, the testimony for that is 150 years after Muhammad was on the earth. But nevertheless, obviously, Muslims believe in miracles. Atheists, of course, say all miracle accounts, purported miracle accounts are false. Now, as we pointed out last week, that for atheism to be true, for naturalism to be true, every spiritual experience, including miracles in the history of the world, has to be mistaken. That's what atheists are saying. That's what naturalists are saying. That everybody in the history of the world who ever had a spiritual experience or ever thought they saw a miracle has to be mistaken. Now, is that possible? Of course, it's possible, but it's just not likely, especially as we pointed out last week that in America alone, there are 94 million people who say they've seen a miracle. Now, maybe maybe many of them are false. Maybe they do have it wrong, but all 94 million are wrong on every case. Not likely. And across the world, there's hundreds of millions of people who say that they've witnessed a miracle. Now, we talked about those six unusual events last time. You'll have to go back and listen to the account or the uh, podcast from last week. But the six unusual events, five of them are not miracles. Anomalies, magic, psychosomatic cures, satanic signs, and divine providence. Only the sixth one, a miracle, 
is truly a direct act of God where God overpowers a natural law. Now, we're going to talk today about the arguments that atheists give against miracles. Why shouldn't we believe in miracles? And maybe we'll get into another topic a little bit later in the program related to miracles. But let's be modest and let's see if we can just get through the arguments that atheists give against miracles. And typically what atheists will say is they'll say miracle accounts are myths and fables. The Bible writers were gullible. Science has disproven miracles. Didn't David Hume disprove miracles? Because aren't miracles a violation of the laws of nature? And you can't violate the laws of nature. In fact, David Hume, who lived in the 1700s, was probably the only true atheist of the so-called Enlightenment. He died in 1776, has an argument against miracles that is still being taught in the university today. And in fact, many people think it's a very good argument against miracles. That's why they teach it at the university level. And he basically said miracles are a violation of the laws of nature. Richard Dawkins, in his book, The Blind Watchmaker, and speaking of miracles, said this, he said events that we commonly call miracles are not supernatural, but are part of a spectrum of more or less improbable natural events. A miracle, in other words, if it occurs at all, is a tremendous stroke of luck. <laughs> it always amazes me when uh, people like Dawkins, who think that everything is run by the laws of physics, talk about luck. <laughs> but in any event, um, he's saying it's if we think it's a miracle, really, it's some kind of improbable natural event. Uh, that's what Dawkins says. Stephen Hawking, who just died this past week, as you know, said a scientific law is not a scientific law that holds only when some supernatural being decides to not intervene. He's essentially siding with Hume, who said miracles are a violation of a natural law. And he said that, look, if you got scientific laws, then if a supernatural being can intervene and overpower them, then it's not really a law. I don't know why he said that. If you think about that for a second, like there's a, a, a speed limit law on my street. Yeah, it is a law, but I can violate it if I'm a free agent. You know, I can speed past it. So this is a, a claim that Hawking had made that I don't think is really true. But nevertheless, that's what he said. He also said this in his book, The Grand Design. He said, this book is rooted in the concept of scientific determinism, which implies that there are no miracles or exceptions to the laws of nature. So he's making a philosophical commitment, Hawking did, that miracles don't occur, that his philosophical viewpoint is that scientific determinism is true or materialism is true or naturalism is true. There's nothing other than the laws of physics operating. Is he right about that? Michael Shermer, a man who had the opportunity to debate. In fact, you can see the debate on our YouTube page. Just go to crossexamine.org. You'll, you'll be able to click to our YouTube page. Uh, debated him about three years ago up there in uh, New York. Uh, here's what he said about miracles. Uh, Lee Strobel asked him this question. So do you consider David Hume's argument persuasive? And Shermer said, oh, yeah, I think his treatise against miracles is pretty much a knockdown argument. Everything else is a footnote. So Shermer thinks that Hume's argument against miracles is really good. Is it really good? Is Hume's argument something? That really has taken away any hope that miracles occur. Well, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Hume's argument on this program and dissect it and see if his thinking actually is good and see if 
David Hume has taken down any hope that Christianity or any other worldview that purports miracles. We're going to see if his thinking is taking down any theistic worldview. And we're going to see if naturalism actually is true. Because as I say, this argument that Hume has put forth is still being taught at universities today. And I frankly think it's been debunked rather soundly. In fact, it's been debunked by C.S. Lewis and many thinkers since C.S. Lewis. My uh, colleague and uh, co-author, Dr. Norman Geiser, I think has debunked it. Uh, I think Tim McGrew up at, uh, at Western Michigan University has written on it extensively. And Craig Keener in his new book, Miracles, new book, his book came out in 2011. Again, it's a two volume set. It's an academic tome, but he deals with Hume's argument and I think has shown that it doesn't work. But when we come back from the break, we're going to deal with the argument directly. And I'll ask you if you can detect the flaw in Hume's argument, because if you just read it, you might say, yeah, yeah, that Hume is making a pretty good point here. But there's a fatal flaw in one of his premises, and we'll see what that fatal flaw is when we come back from the break. Now, I want to mention this Monday night, I'm going to be at Vanderbilt University doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, 7 p.m. local, that's central time. It will also be streamed live on our website and on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org, if all the technology works. So if you can't be at Vanderbilt in Nashville... Uh, at least you can watch it streaming live. And it's always a fun time when we get to Q&A because atheists normally show up and we have a good time interacting with them. So you don't want to miss it this Monday night at Vanderbilt University. I'm Frank Turek. We'll be back in just two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. What is the best argument against miracles, and how do we answer it? Probably the best argument that has come down at least most people think it's the best argument is the argument that i mentioned before the break that david hume came up with a man who lived in the 1700s that as i say is still being taught all over the world as an argument why you should not believe in miracles if you're just joining us you're listening to cross examine with frank turek on the american family radio network our website is crossexamine.org that's cross examine with a d on the end of it.org also, like our Facebook page, crossexamine.org and Dr. Frank Turk, Dr. Frank Turk, uh, two Facebook pages. And if you do that, you'll not only um, you'll not only get the posts that we put up there. We put three or four posts up every day, but you'll also be able to see our streaming events. As I mentioned, we'll be at Vanderbilt University this week and next week at Murray State University out there in uh, Kentucky. Uh, and uh, you see all the live presentation as well as the back and forth during the Q&A. So uh, sign up for our Facebook pages there. And I uh, also wanted to mention that uh, we have CIA coming up, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy uh, in August. We're pretty full for the advanced CIA in May, but the one in August, I think, still is open. And that's going to be in Dallas, Texas from August 18th to the no, 16th to the 18th, August 16th to the 18th. And uh, that's where we teach people how to present 
apologetics. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and also utilizing Greg Kokel's book tactics, how you can present and answer questions more effectively, how you can be a better presenter of apologetics. And this is, this will be our 11th annual CIA. This is where you'll learn from people like Greg Kokel and Jay Warner Wallace and Brett Kunkel and Bobby Conway, Natasha Crane. We're adding to the team this year and uh, several others. So you don't want to miss uh, CIA, but you need to apply for it. And I think the deadline is sometime in June. So get on that quickly because we're filling up quickly as well. All right, let's talk now about miracles. As I mentioned at the top of the program, if miracles don't occur, Christianity can't be true. So what did David Hume say that makes many people believe that miracles don't occur? There are four premises to Hume's argument. Now, follow me on this, uh, because if all of these four premises are true, then the conclusion is true. And the conclusion is, therefore, a wise man should never believe in miracles. Let's look at Hume's arguments or premises to the to the argument. And by the way, all of this is in the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So if you you want to you want to look at this in more detail, get the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. All right. Here's the first premise of Hume's argument. Natural law is by definition, a description of a regular occurrence. Well, that seems to be true, right? I mean, uh, let's take gravity. For example, if you, if you begin to drop things and you notice that every time you drop something, it falls to the ground. Eventually you're going to come to the conclusion that there's some sort of natural law that occurs regularly. And you'll realize that there's this force out there known as gravity. It's a definite natural laws by definition, description of a regular occurrence. It occur occurs all the time. You drop things, they all fall to the ground. That's premise. Number one seems sound to me. Second premise, a miracle is by definition, a rare occurrence. Well, that seems axiomatic too. I mean, miracles by definition have to be rare if they're going to get our attention. Uh, and if they were regular events, we would consider them part or we would consider them explained by natural law. So miracles, by definition, have to be rare in order to distinguish them from natural events, but they can't be too rare that you never see them ever, but they have to be rare enough. So when they do occur, you go, wow, OK, this is a, this is a special act of God or a special act of something beyond nature. Now. Here's the problem. A lot of people don't believe in miracles because they've never seen one. Well, there's a lot of things that you've never seen that you believe in, right? Like you believe in your mind. You've never seen it, <laughs> but you believe in it. You believe in the laws of logic. You've never seen those. You're using them right now. You believe in justice. You've never seen justice. Why? Because justice isn't a physical thing that you see. It's an immaterial thing, but you believe in it. You've never seen love. But you believe in love. You've seen love expressed, but it's not a physical thing to see. So just because you haven't seen something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now, it turns out that miracles have to be rare if they're going to get our attention. I mean, let's just say uh, the resurrection of Christ. Um, it, it's got to be a rare event for us to go, hey, that's a special act of God, because if resurrections occurred all the time. Then you'd say, well, this stuff occurs all the time. It's probably some sort of natural law here. So it's nothing special. I mean, imagine if people resurrected from the dead routinely and you go to somebody and you go, Hey, Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God. And he did that. So you would believe that his sacrifice saves you. And the guy goes, you're saying Jesus rose from the dead. Well, that's no big deal. 
Uncle George just rose from the dead two weeks ago. Now I got to give the inheritance back, right? Now, if miracles occurred all the time, if resurrections occurred all the time, then the resurrection of Christ wouldn't get our attention and we wouldn't think it's a special act of God. So Hume's second premise, a miracle is by definition a rare occurrence, seems sound as well. What's his third premise in the argument? He says the evidence for the regular events is always greater than that for the rare. Well, that seems true as well. Why? Well, let's take a football game. You watch a football game and you see a disputed play from several different angles at different speeds and you can figure out what really happened. Whereas the ref sees it from one angle at full speed once. You see it from several angles at different speeds as many times as you want. So the evidence for the regular is always greater than that for the rare. Your evidence viewing the instant replay is better than the ref who sees it once the rare one time he sees it. So that's premise number three of Hume's argument. Premise number four is a wise man always bases his belief on the greater evidence. Well, that seems axiomatic as well, doesn't it? I mean, you're not going to base your belief on the lesser evidence. You'll base it on the greater evidence. So Hume's conclusion is this. Therefore, a wise man should never believe in miracles. Now, let me go over that again, because on radio, it can be hard to get all this in your mind. You're not seeing this. Here's here's Hume's argument. Point one. Premise one. Natural laws, by definition, are description of a regular occurrence. Premise two. A miracle is by definition a rare occurrence. Premise three, the evidence for regular events is always greater than that for the rare. Number four, a wise man always bases his belief on the greater evidence. The conclusion, therefore, a wise man should never believe in miracles. Now, when I ask audiences, live audiences, which one of these four premises is false? They give me several different answers. And usually they'll say, oh, uh, you know, number one is bad. Number one, natural laws by just by definition, a description of regular occurrence. No, that, that that's good. That makes sense. Let's say, oh, no, wait, it's premise two. That's bad. A miracle is by definition a rare occurrence. No, there's nothing wrong with that one either. Sometimes they'll go to four. A wise man always bases belief on the greater evidence. No, that seems axiomatic as well. Why would you base your belief on the lesser evidence? They finally arrive at number three. After, <laughs> after expending effort on the other three that are actually are good, they'll say, well, maybe there's a problem with number three. The evidence for regular for the regular is always greater than that for the rare. And that is the premise that is problematic. Now, why is problematic? I gave the example of refs and watching a football game. And it says the evidence for regular events is always greater than that for the rare. That might be true much of the time, but it's not true all of the time. Because sometimes the evidence for a rare event is quite good. And not every event is a regular event. Sometimes events are one-offs. They just occur once and you have good evidence for it. And here's the way that you can show that David Hume's argument is problematic. You want to pick beliefs that Hume would have being an atheist that are rare events that yet he still believes. He still thinks he has good evidence for. Now, if Hume were here today as an atheist, he would believe in, say, the Big Bang, because every just about every atheist today admits that the universe had a beginning out of nothing. In fact, 
Stephen Hawking, as I said earlier, who just died this week, famously said that almost everyone believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Now, Hawking was an atheist. He tried to come up with another explanation other than God for the beginning. I think he failed at that, but he's admitting the data. And if Hume were here today, he'd probably say the same thing. But the Big Bang is not a regular event. It's a one-off event. It occurred once. It's the Big Bang theory. It's not the Big Bang, 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 Bang theory, right? It happened once, if it happened at all. Yet we have good evidence for a rare event. And so we should believe it. And by the way, the Big Bang, the fact that the universe exploded into being out of nothing is the greatest miracle of all. If that miracle really occurred, if the universe literally came into existence out of nothing, if Genesis 1-1 is true, then every other verse in the Bible is at least possible. It's at least believable. And when atheists are admitting the data for Genesis 1-1, they're not saying it's God, but they're admitting the data that, yes, the universe did have a beginning. Space, matter, and time did have a beginning. So the cause must be spaceless. Um, this is my conclusion now. If space, matter, and time had a beginning, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent. Those are the attributes of God. Now, we don't know if it's the Christian God, but we do know, it appears, this cause has some of the attributes of what could be the Christian God. You've got to do more research. You've got to figure out if Jesus was who he said he is in order to figure out if the cause of the universe is Yahweh. We can do that. We can't do it today on this program, but that's what we do in our books. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and stealing from God. But the point here is, if the first verse really did occur, a rare event, then other miracles are possible as well. Because if God can create the universe out of nothing, then he can do whatever he wants. It's not logically impossible inside the universe. Also, the origin of life on Earth does not occur regularly. It's a rare event. Yet everybody believes that life originated at some point on Earth, either by natural means or by some supernatural intelligent means. Everybody believes that. Why? Because we're here. It's a rare event. It's not a regular event. Life does not occur regularly out of nothing or out of pre-existing materials, it does not it does not form itself regularly. Yet we should believe it occurred because we're all here. Also, macroevolution, if it occurred at all, it can't be repeated. If it happened at all, it happened only once. We can't go in the laboratory and recreate the history of life. It's a rare event that we have that most atheists believe is true. Also, as C.S. Lewis pointed out, the entire history of the earth cannot be repeated. So if you take Hume's argument at to heart, you shouldn't believe anything from history. In fact, if Hume were consistent, he shouldn't believe his own birth because it happened only once. It's a rare event. In fact, everything from history is a rare event. Yet you have good evidence to believe events from history. Now, we'll cover more of this right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. Cross-Examined with D on the end of it. We're back in two. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this... 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, forget about it. Stay right here, because you're not going to hear this on NPR. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. Our Facebook page crossexamined.org and also dr frank turk dr frank turk and we have an app if you haven't downloaded the app yet where are you what are you what have you been doing out there download the cross-examined app two words in the app store cross-examined we're up to over one hundred and fifty-five thousand downloads people are finding it helpful it has this podcast on it it has our tv show streaming live which by the way is on wednesday night at 9 p.m eastern and 1 a.m eastern if you're an insomniac on DirecTV Channel 378. It's also on Roku. If you have Roku, NRB TV on Roku, NRB for National Religious Broadcasters. And if you don't have DirecTV and you don't have Roku, it's on this new technology sweeping the country right now. It's called the Internet. Yeah, it's <laughs> you can watch the TV show streaming on our website, crossexamined.org, and right there on your phone if you've got the uh, Cross-Examined app. So download all that. It's free. Now, we're going back to David Hume's argument. We pointed out that Hume's third premise in his argument that evidence for regular events is always greater than that for the rarest faults. Why? The Big Bang is a rare event. Good evidence for it. The origin of life on Earth. Rare event. Good evidence for it. We're here. Macroevolution can't be repeated. It's a rare event if it happened at all. In fact, regardless of how we got here, whether it's evolution or whether God created kinds uh, fully formed. That can't be repeated. So no matter what view you take, whether it's macroevolution or whether it's a special creation, as I think the evidence points toward, then either way, it's a rare event. Yet we're here, so we ought to believe in it. In fact, the entire history of the Earth can't be repeated. So Hume's argument doesn't work, despite the fact it's being taught still at the modern university today. Now, a couple other things about Hume's argument. Notice that Hume, in this argument, is not trying to prove that miracles are not possible. He's trying to prove they're not credible. In other words, that you ought not believe in them. He's not saying miracles aren't possible. He's saying that you ought, you ought not believe in them because the evidence for the regular events is always greater than that for the rare. Now, that's a false premise. But there's something circular about the argument. In fact, there's something wrong with an argument that tells you you ought not believe something, even if it's true. So Hume's argument is not really against the possibility of miracles. It's against the it's against the believability of miracles. And it turns out it's a circular argument. Why is it a circular argument? Because he's basically assuming that. Evidence for regular events is always greater than that for the rare. In other words, there's no good, credible evidence for a rare event like a miracle occurring. And it, it, it sort of goes like this. 
atheists who follow Hume will say things like this. Miracles don't occur. And when you ask them a question, well, how do you know that? How do you know miracles don't occur? Because they'll say, because all miracle reports are false. And then you say, well, how do you know all miracle reports are false? And then they'll say, because there's a uniform experience against miracles, echoing David Hume. And then you say, how do you know that? How do you know there's a uniform experience against miracles? Because miracles don't occur. Now, that turns out to be a circular argument. Think about that. Miracles don't occur. Why? Because all miracle reports are false. Why? Because there's a uniform experience against miracles. Why? Because miracles don't occur. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who said everything well, put it this way. He said, now, of course, we must agree with Hume that if there is absolutely uniform experience against miracles, if, in other words, they never have happened, why then they never have? Unfortunately, we know the experience against them to be uniform only if we know that all reports of them are false. And we can only know all the reports to be false only if we already only if we know already that miracles have never occurred. In fact, Hume is arguing in a circle. He's basically saying that we know all miracle claims are false because we know that all miracle claims are false. <laughs> it's just a circular argument. It doesn't work. He's presupposing what he's trying to prove. He has a philosophical presupposition against miracles, similar to Stephen Hawking, who said, as I mentioned earlier, talking about his book, The Grand Design. This book is rooted in the concept of scientific determinism, which implies that there are no miracles or exceptions to the laws of nature. Well, this is a philosophical assertion that is not a scientific conclusion. In fact, it begs the question in favor of atheism, in favor of naturalism, in favor of materialism. And it also means that Hawking's own thoughts in his book are determined. Now, if his own thoughts are determined, then we have no reason to believe that his own thoughts are true, including his thought that miracles don't occur, including his thought that naturalism is true. It's a self-defeating argument to say my thoughts are completely determined by the laws of physics because if that thought is determined completely by the laws of physics, if all thoughts are determined completely by the laws of physics, then so is that one. And we have no warrant then to believe it's true. So the best argument for the past three centuries or so against miracles actually is not a very good argument at all. It's a circular argument. You have to evaluate miracle claims individually. You can't just rule them all out as being false. Because if you do that, you're assuming what you're trying to prove. You've got to evaluate them and see if there's credible evidence that a miracle has actually occurred. Now, on the last program, I pointed out a couple of accounts that appear to be credible accounts of miracles actually occurring in the modern day. Now, can we go back to Jesus Yes, we can. And I think when we look at the evidence for Jesus, that it takes more faith to believe he didn't rise from the dead than to believe that he did. And we're going to look at other miracle claims in future programs. As I say, we're going to have Craig Keener on and we're going to have Lee Strobel on to talk about their respective books on the topics. Now, I, I, I saw Tim McGrew uh, recently on a YouTube along with... Um, Craig Keener. Craig Keener had given a 
presentation on his book, Miracles, which you can find on YouTube. There's several little YouTube clips of uh, Craig Keener talking about this. And the respondent in one of these uh, presentations he gave was Tim McGrew. And Tim made a brilliant point. Tim McGrew is a uh, is a professor up at Western Michigan University and has done some great work on David Hume and uh, Hume's argument and the, the problems with it. And uh, also has done some work on undesigned coincidences. In fact, we had his wife, uh, Sylvia on, uh, or Lydia, I should say, Lydia, um, Lydia McGrew on a few months back with her book on undesigned coincidences, undesigned coincidences, easy for me to say, called Hidden in Plain View. And here's what McGrew said uh, regarding eyewitness testimony. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said in court, eyewitnesses who say they saw something happen are preferred over those who say it didn't happen. Now, why is that? He said, because research shows that there are more ways to miss something than there are to be mistaken about what you thought you saw. In other words, if there are two people in a room and someone says they saw something and the other person says they didn't, the person who says they saw something is a preferred witness to someone who says they didn't see it. Why? Because there are more ways to miss something than there are to be mistaken about what you saw. You know, you were turned the wrong way. You were distracted. Uh, you, you forgot you stepped out for a minute. You were looking the other way at the moment, at, at the very moment it happened. Um, so you can miss something quite easily. But it's hard to be mistaken about what you, 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 you thought you saw. And so when we get positive testimony that a miracle has occurred and we get it from multiple sources and these people are credible eyewitnesses. That testimony in a court of law is assumed to be better than says, well, I didn't see the miracle. If someone says I didn't see it, I was actually in the room and I didn't see it. Well, yeah, you, you may have missed it. You may have been turned the wrong way. You may have been talking to somebody else. You may have forgotten you'd stepped out for a moment. And there are very good lines of evidence that people have witnessed miracles, not only in the modern day, but in New Testament times. So if you're going to have a philosophical bias against miracles, you're presupposing what you're trying to prove. Now, there was a, uh, a famous quote from Richard Lewontin, who is an atheist, teaches at, at Harvard, or he did anyway. Don't know if he still does. It was in the New York Times Review of Books, or the New York Review of Books, excuse me, back in January of 1997. And he admitted something that most people won't admit, most people who are atheists. Here's what he said. He said, it's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori, meaning our prior adherence to material causes, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So he's saying that scientists don't get from science that miracles don't occur. They're applying a philosophical rule to their own lives and to their own outlook that says miracles don't occur. It's their prior commitment to materialism that causes them to say that miracles don't occur. It's not that somehow evidence suggests that miracles don't occur. It's that they philosophically ruled out miracles from the get-go, which is what C.S. Lewis is saying that Hume is doing. It's a circular argument. You're presupposing they don't occur. We can't allow a divine foot in the door. 
man, if we let a divine foot in the door, wow, there's so many negative implications to our lives if God exists. First of all, we're not going to be seen as the new priests who dispense truth to the general public. Scientists aren't going to be seen that way if there's somebody greater than them. Secondly, they're not going to get all that grant money they want to get. If you try and say intelligent design or there's some intelligence out there, well, you're going to lose grant money. Thirdly, you're, you're going to be put off or you're going to be looked down upon by your materialistic colleagues in the faculty club lounge. <laughs> and also, there are moral implications. When God exists, wow, if he exists, then we can't live like we want to live. Now, I'm not saying all atheists have these motivations because motivation doesn't necessarily show that somebody's belief is true or false. You could have a bad motivation and a true belief, but Lewontin is at least admitting that the argument against miracles is not based on evidence. It's an argument based on a philosophical presupposition. They're assuming that materialism is true. You can't prove it. In fact, there's no way to prove materialism is true. In fact, I'll explain why right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. And our website is crossexamine.org. Crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. And also like our Facebook page, crossexamine.org and DR Frank Turek. Don't forget about Vanderbilt University, Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. What are the arguments that miracles do not occur? That's what we've been talking about today, primarily David Hume's argument against miracles, which turns out to be circular and therefore invalid. Uh, but I mentioned before the break that um, you cannot prove materialism's true. Why can't you prove materialism's true? That everything's made of molecules and there is no immaterial realm. We're just a brain. We're not a mind. There is no supernatural well, I actually write about this in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And here's what I write on page 41, and I'm reading it because <laughs> it, can, it can give you intellectual constipation <laughs> to think about this because it turns out to be self-defeating. And here's why. I write, of course, if materialism is true, that nothing exists but materials, then the mind is the brain. But scientists have not discovered that materialism is true. They have merely assumed materialism is true. There's actually no way neuroscience or any other natural science can prove that the mind is the brain. You can do all the empirical studies you want and experiments you want. You'll never get there. Now, why not? Well, let me ask you a question. Who is necessary to run the experiments, gather the data, interpret the data, and draw a conclusion? Again, think about this. If you're trying to prove materialism is true and you're going to run an experiment or look at brain scans or whatever you're going to do, who is necessary to run the experiments, gather the data, interpret the data and draw a conclusion? Here's the answer. A person with a mind or who reasons freely to a rational conclusion. If that person 
is merely a brain, merely a moist robot whose every thought is determined completely by the laws of physics, then there is no reason to trust that person's experiments or any of his conclusions. You'd need someone with an immaterial mind to draw a trustworthy scientific conclusion. In other words, any intellectually reliable effort to conclude materialism is true must assume that materialism is false. Yeah, that can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it, because the person doing the experiment doesn't think he's just a brain. He's thinking he has a mind that can reason to rational conclusions. Well, if he has a mind that can reason to rational conclusions, can freely reason to rational conclusions and materialism's false. He's not just a moist robot. Now, I've talked this. I've talked about this several times on the program. Sorry for the repetition, but you've got to get this if you want to realize that materialistic atheism is false. Or at least there's no way to prove it's true. <laughs> so at least Richard Lewontin, the guy I mentioned before the break, who said that we're forced by our a priori to material causes. We're, 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 we're forced by our prior commitment to materialism. At least he's admitting it's a philosophical presupposition. It's not a rational conclusion. Now, with that said, we've got to deal with another argument against miracles. And it's related to Hume's argument. You may have heard it this way, that unusual claims require unusual evidence, or sometimes it's put this way. Well, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Now, notice that's a philosophical claim. Now, actually, when someone says that, you've got to go back to the tactical questions that Greg Kokel talks about. If they say extraordinary evidence requires or extraordinary claims like a miracle requires extraordinary evidence, you've got to ask them, what do you mean by extraordinary? What do you mean by extraordinary? Now, if they mean miraculous, then they've got a problem because to require miraculous evidence to support miracles would result in an infinite regress with each miracle requiring another miracle for you to believe it. Well, if I'm going to believe in a miracle, someone's got to appear to me to tell me that it really happened like Jesus. Well, that would be another miracle. And then you'd say, well, why should I believe that one? Well, I've got to have another miracle to to, to get me to believe that Jesus just appeared to me. Well, how, why am I going to believe that one? Well, I've got to have another miracle to, ha- you get the idea. You'd go on an infinite regress. So if you mean by extraordinary evidence, if you mean miraculous, then you're just going to go on an infinite regress. If you mean repeatable, I've got to see it over and over again for me to believe it. Well, no past event is repeatable. Past events are known through historical science or forensic science. And as I mentioned earlier, scientists who reject miracles have no trouble accepting other unusual, unrepeatable past events, such as the Big Bang, that the universe had a beginning, or the spontaneous generation of life, or the whole macroevolutionary worldview, which says that New life forms came from pre-existing life forms. They can't repeat that. That's not repeat. That's an extraordinary claim, if you want to use the word. And what extraordinary evidence do they have for that? And if they're going to say that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, you got to define what you mean by extraordinary. And if you're going to say it's got to be a repeatable event, well, 
There's a lot of unrepeatable things you believe that you don't have extraordinary evidence for. Now, if you just mean by extraordinary evidence more than normal, well, we've got more than normal evidence. That's exactly the kind of evidence we have, say, for the resurrection. We've got independent eyewitness testimony from eight or nine sources, depending upon who wrote the book of Hebrews. And these people actually who were Jewish believers in Yahweh totally turned their world upside down to become believers in a resurrected Christ. And they had no motive to do this. They got beaten, tortured, and killed for saying Jesus had resurrected from the dead. They already thought they were God's chosen people. Why would they invent a resurrected Jesus? Answer, they wouldn't. They, they turned their lives around. They dispensed with many of their beliefs that they held for two millennia. And adopted new beliefs in this resurrected Jesus virtually overnight. Then they went and suffered and died for it. They wouldn't have invented this. They had no motive to make it up. They wound up turning over the Roman Empire in a, in a few centuries. From paganism to Christianity. And they did this all through peaceful means. And if you're thinking of the Crusades, think again. Those didn't begin until 1100 AD. After Christianity had been well established for over a thousand years. The worldview that f- spread by the sword was Islam, not Christianity, but that's a whole nother, whole nother story. We don't have time to get into here. The point here is, is we have extraordinary, I think evidence for yes, an extraordinary event, the resurrection. In fact, it takes more faith to believe it didn't happen than to believe it did. How do you explain all this? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, And if the first verse of the Bible is true, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that verse is true, and even atheists are admitting the data for that miracle, they're saying that space, matter, and time had a beginning, then a resurrection is easy to believe. Because if God can create the universe out of nothing, he can resurrect Jesus from the dead. He can do every other miracle in the Bible. Not a problem. So, this philosophical claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence doesn't work either. Because no matter how you define extraordinary, if you define it as more than normal, then we've got more than normal. If you define it as miraculous, you're going on infinite regress, that doesn't work. If you define it as repeatable, well, everything from history is not repeatable. So you shouldn't believe anything from history, and yet atheists believe a lot of things from history that are rare events. You got more than normal, we got that. So the arguments against miracles don't really work. Now the question remains, what evidence do we have for miracles occurring today and maybe miracles occurring, obviously, to Jesus and the apostles? We just covered some of it, but we'll get into it again in future programs with Dr. Craig Keener and also Lee Strobel, because this topic is essential to Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. Because again, if miracles can't occur or haven't occurred, Christianity's false. If they have occurred, particularly the resurrection, Christianity's true. In fact, if if Jesus rose from the dead, game over, Christianity's true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, forget it. Devote your life to something else because Christianity's not true. C.S. Lewis famously said something like this. 
Christianity is either the most important fact in the universe or it's irrelevant. What it can't be is moderately important. If it's true, it's the most important fact anywhere. If it's not true, it's irrelevant. Move on, do something else. So, the arguments against miracles don't really work. When we come back next week, well, actually next week, I think we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have, hopefully next week, we're going to have Dr. Craig Evans talking about Jesus and archaeology. And then in future programs, we'll have Lee Strobel and Craig Keener. Dr. Evans, I don't know if you know about Dr. Evans. He is a wonderful scholar who now I think teaches at Houston Baptist University, and he's an archaeologist. And we're going to have him on talk about archaeological finds related to Christianity and Jesus. In fact, I'm heading to Israel here in a few weeks. And uh, so Craig's book is uh, very timely. Actually, it's a book that's come out a few years ago, but I just got it recently. And so we'll have Craig Evans on to talk about artifacts and uh, archaeological discoveries related to Jesus and the New Testament. So you're not going to want to miss that program. And then we'll, we'll rekindle our discussion here about miracles because very important topic and haven't devoted a lot, a lot of time to it on this uh, radio broadcast or podcast. So we'll get to that next time. Now, don't forget again, friends, Vanderbilt University Monday night. That's this Monday night. It happens to be the uh, 19th of March. If you can't be at Vanderbilt, it's open to the public. Anyone can come. If you can't be at Vanderbilt, it's going to be streamed live on our Facebook page and also on our crossexamine.org website. You can watch the entire event. And then the following week will be at Murray State University. Again, it should be streamed live. And uh, then Paducah, Kentucky uh, at a high school out in Paducah. All the details on our website, crossexamined.org. And check it all out there. I hope to see you on the road. If not, I'll see you streaming live. Thanks for all your support, friends. Thanks for your prayers. I'll see you next week right here. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 